Let's do this. What is virtualization? You're going to learn today. Innovate like a startup, deliver like an enterprise. I hope you're coffeeed up and ready because it's going to be a great day. I know you're going to dig this. Oh, yeah. You're listening to the Virtually Speaking Podcast with Pedro Arrow and John Nicholson. Good afternoon and welcome to the Virtually Speaking Podcast, episode number 211. My name is Pete Fletcher, a.k.a. Pedro Arrow, and joining me once again is Mr. John Nicholson. John, how you doing, man? Looking at the clouds. Oh, yeah? That one, you know, they look like different things sometimes. You know, people sometimes say they see like a, that's a cat or that's a dog. Yeah. You know, that one, that one over there, that one, that one looks like a, an SSD. That one looks like a LUN. <laughs> you know, that one... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think you've been staring at those clouds a little too long, my friend. I just see data <laughs> everywhere, Pete. I don't know why. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, John, I want to talk a little cloud today. I'd like to talk. Uh, I want to talk more than cloud. I want to talk cloud storage. Uh, I, I think that's a conversation you and I probably have uh, more than we care to admit together. But yeah, we're going to bring on some experts today to add some color to the conversation. Yeah, we got a CTO that came out of Datrium uh, and he's now running the data cloud. Before he was at Datrium, however, uh, this gentleman knows his storage. He was actually uh, at Hyperflex before it was acquired by Cisco. Uh, you know, was you know one of the founding folks on the software-defined HCI. There, uh, he was the CTO and distinguished engineer at Data Domain. Which, John, I'm not sure if you know this, but they actually pioneered deduplication. And then, man, after that, he was the co-founder of Datrium, and we all know where that went, right? Datrium is now contributing to the VMware portfolio in a lot of really cool ways with DRAS and, uh, and cloud storage. And so joining the Virtually Speaking podcast for the very first time is CTO of VMware's Data Cloud, uh, Sazala Reddy. Sazala, welcome to the podcast. Hey, good to be here, Pete and John. Thanks for inviting me over today. Yeah. So you've been involved in storage for a little while. Yeah, it's always interesting that, you know, storage always evolves. There's always new, new, new things to do. And also storage grows every day. So people want to do more interesting things with it. So I find it exciting to be in this space. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, as we mentioned, you know, we acquired Datrium a few years back, and uh, and I'm curious for you as you came over to VMware, uh, you know, and now being in a you know in a new company but still focusing on storage. Uh, what does your day to day look like now? Yeah, so I have a slightly bigger role than just storage these days because, as you know, the close cousin of storage is databases, and a lot of the data tends to be there in storage in some raw format, block format, or it tends to be in databases. Especially if you look at the modern applications; they tend to use more databases. So they're kind of close cousins. They kind of have to work together to provide a significant value. So I'm looking at it together holistically, like, you know, hey, storage databases, how, they, how, how should we do it together? Also, there's something called data warehousing, which is slightly different from the, from the uh, just databases um, as a use case. So we have all these very cool portfolio within the company itself. And also, how do we take this to the next level? How do we make it a good experience for customers tying up storage, this uh, databases, data warehousing, and, and the data protection, all aspects of the data how can we do a good job across the multi-cloud and you know, kind of make it useful for customers and also kind of delight customers in the journey, how they manage the data? I know Pete and I use the word storage a lot, and I feel like everyone has, but I, I like the focus on data. And I feel like we're not just trying to make 
storage sound fancy, I guess, in this case. But this, this discussion of working backwards from the needs of databases and data warehouse and different types of uh, databases, that's, that's interesting. What are you seeing that's, I guess, different from that perspective than, I guess, the perspective of bottom-up of, hey, I'm going to provide really fast or I'm going to have the best data efficiencies or things like that? What, what are you seeing in terms of that those challenges? If you, I think I can give an example of Snowflake. Um, so my previous boss, Frank Slootman, is the CEO there, so I can talk about it a little bit. The... <laughs> If you look at what they've done is that they've actually built a kind of a two-tier architecture, which is kind of what the new evolution of storage and databases tend to be. Is this two-level architecture where you can independently scale your compute and you know, I, you know, basically your compute and performance. And you can also independently scale your capacity because what you don't want is that a fixed, a fixed entity to be always there because it matters in cost. And it also matters in terms of dynamically being able to scale your performance as much as you want. So Snowflake has been a little bit pioneer. So was Datrium, by the way, started at the same time in the long ago. We also have the same architecture, like a two-tier architecture. And if you look at new modern databases, even Google announced their new thing, uh, AlloyDB, it's similar. How do you scale compute separately from how do you scale storage? So those are the fundamentals, which gives you that flexibility to build anything you want. This two-tier approach, it's its interesting. What do you think is driving this? Is this an economics thing? If previously we would, you know, if you said the word database, then the tier one storage, you know, mafia showed up and they said, we got to <laughs> throw the fast, only the fastest. All, all, all IOs are, are special and need to be handled at ultra speed. Um, and then, you know, if you started, if you started having problems with the cost of that and you started choking on that, people would kind of glare at you and maybe snobbishly some of the DBAs and say, why is this data even in my, my fancy database? You know, is it the types of data that we're hoarding? Is it you know the cost economics? What's what's driving this? You know, there are this many, approach? Uh, actually. So, firstly, the old way of the database being used was a very uh, you know a, a, a central database used to be the way, and you wrote, and you wrote these monolithic applications. So everybody, there were like fifty engineers working on this one giant Java application, and they would all write on the same same database. They're all bang on it, and you can't change schemas. It's very rigid. So in that, the decisions was made by like not so much as developers as somebody else, the DBAs, and they're used to the Oracle. It's pretty resilient. It kind of has a lot of cool features. Of yeah. course, it's an enterprise class, right? That's why people used it. But that's the old way. The modern way is that developers want to like you know get download some database. And if you look at the microservices architecture, every small team of engineers, rather than having a giant database, everybody monks with it. Everybody has their own little database they can use. And for their particular use case, for example, if you have a catalog, you want to use MongoDB, some other kind of NoSQL database. If you want to do some transactions, use OLTP. So that's why the microservices kind of gives you that flexibility that you can have small, small teams focusing on their core competencies and choose the database they want. And that's kind of called the polyglot database kind of way of thinking about it is that everybody has their own database. That's why there is now a plethora of databases available because there is a need for all these databases for different use cases, as opposed to having one giant database. Yeah. Well, the other problem is uh, if everybody wants to get a copy of that database, uh, making copies is not a an easy function. In, in uh, depending on the software that you're using, because you know creating full copies can be uh, performance intensive uh, and also capacity <laughs> intensive. Yeah. So it kind of slows down everything having this monolithic architecture, right? At some level, if you have like only like 10 engineers, maybe it makes sense. But the moment you start growing into like 50 to 100 to 1,000 engineers, imagine like Netflix having one giant database for everybody and everybody working on that. That would just not fly. So I am sure they have thousands and thousands of databases for this reason that they need to be able to divide and conquer. No, it's... So, it- it's always interesting hearing these startup stories about how they, you know, they started with MySQL or something and then they scaled it, tried to scale it to infinity. I think Facebook was notorious for this of trying to, you know, scale things that were never designed to be scaled out 
as vertically as possible. And, you know, out, out in came the, you know, NoSQL scale out architectures and things like that. And, you know, everyone said, oh, you know, the legacy transactional, the Oracle's logo that, but it, it seems like no one is actually hurting. You know, I saw all these new databases, CockroachDB, you know, spawning from under, you know, wherever constantly. And I kept thinking, oh, there's going to be some thinning of the herd or maybe the old guard will hurt, but it seems like everyone's doing well here. Yeah, I, because like I said, again, data is growing. The old data is growing and the new data is growing. <laughs> so the amount of money being made by Postgres itself, Post, if you look at the graphs of the popularity of the databases, Oracle is number one, but very next after that is number three is Postgres SQL. And MySQL is right there. So these are moving up. Like I think in the next five years, we have to see how this, how this turns out to be. In MongoDB is number four. So they're all moving up. The, like if you see the graphs of their popularity, they're moving up. It's mostly because open source, People, developers can just start using it right away. They don't have to wait for some approval purchase from like, you know, corporate IT to get Oracle databases and DBA. It's not easy to install and manage. Like Postgres, you Google for some scripts, you'll find GitHub scripts that you can download. And then basically, there you go. Voila, you can be up and running in like, in like five minutes. That, that's why it's really interesting. You know, VMware, obviously, we have our database as a service. You also see all the public cloud databases as a service plays. Um, that area is a, a very interesting. And so I guess, you know, getting back to that question I asked earlier, you know, is data just a fancy way of sounding storage? It does sound like it is a much more complicated, nuanced. It is because the, the databases have a pipeline of things to do. Like the, there's something called data architecture. There is the uh, how to run your business, like currently running your business and supporting the user. That's OLTP databases, transactional processing. And there is the optimize your business. How do I optimize my business? How do I make it even better for the user's experience? So that's kind of generally where the data warehousing data lakes are. So those are the two buckets where um, databases are innovating. One is OLTP style, quick uh, workloads, starting the business. Another one is that how do I optimize? Because these days, when you go to any, any uh, shopping stores, whatever, they immediately know who you are they probably know what you bought and they probably want to give you some discounts based on what you do. That requires real time you know, processing from your data lakes and data warehousing to understand your buying trends. And the, the volume of that data is so much larger than just the, hey, John bought a pack of gum again today. It's yeah. you know all of the behaviors of who oh, he walks down this aisle and then proceeds to this aisle and that'll affect how we do you know design or or based on third party data services and things we know that you know he's he hovered on this area of the shopping website the, all of that other stuff that ends up you know outside of the core transactional credit card database and and you're like you say those microservices you can go plug your AI ML against that um, there's a lot of opportunity there so. 100%. So, so what's excited me about, what's, what is VMware's story and why does it excite me? Because if you look at, uh, like if you look at storage, right, there have been two, three protocols which are popular. There's NFS protocol, there is the iSCSI protocol, like not that many like random things don't come up. Yeah. So same thing in databases. One of the things about Oracle is the stickiness of it. You cannot just move from Oracle to another database because they have some features and you're kind of stuck there because you can't just move that. It looks like high-level SQL, but it's not really. There's some extensions they've done. Once you use an extension, you're kind of stuck there. So what's happened is that in the open source world, Postgres interface is now the standardized way of doing things. So if, you at, if you look at all the new databases coming up in the popping up in the cloud, like AlloyDB from Google, Aurora Database, RDS, there's a couple other companies like Yugabyte, all those people, they all have Postgres as interface because the developers are used to it now. And that's why Postgres is so popular. And nobody wants to deviate from that protocol because once you deviate from the protocol, then you're gonna to have to do migration. So nobody wants to do any of that stuff. So this one day standard protocol. So Postgres is, is kind of the standard uh, interface. I used to work in a couple of database companies by this professor called Michael Stonebreaker. He's one of the early um, database professors in the space and, and one of the early people who probably did ingress before Postgres. 
So I'm pretty excited that there's a lot of talent within VMware who have done Postgres for a long time, including the Greenplum data warehousing thing. It's actually very unique uh, data warehousing. It actually scales out quite large and it is there in large enterprise customers. It has the property that it's both OLTP and it's a data. It's kind of a data warehousing, like a uh, large queries. So it's kind of a very interesting mix. Most most databases are not like that. They either do one or the other. Right. But Greenplum is actually interesting. That actually Postgres expertise is there, and also it's like a very uh, unique way of scaling uh, the architecture. Yeah, talking to some of the customers, um, I've had you know the opportunity to talk to a couple, and it's 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 crazy the scale these guys can operate of you know hundreds of terabytes or petabyte scale. Um, and this is stuff back in my day when I was trying to you know scale Microsoft SQL two thousand five or two thousand eight. I would have you know run in horror if you'd mentioned these scales, but, um, you know, seeing power companies doing full ETLs of the database every night, um, and just being able to turn over that much data set and the amount of, yeah. you know, compute and storage that's involved in that, but the, the inferences and the, the activities and the things that come off of that, or even ta- taxation authorities, you know, just the, the sheer scale of the data that goes in there. Um, it's, it's not, you know, a product with 400,000 customers, but the people who use it, the scale they use it at is, is crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. And also, it's not just once a day anymore. People like want to know quickly more. more. Uh, so they're doing continuous streaming now into the into these data warehousing because they want that they want that that experience data uh, to learn quickly from it. And so the, what is the advantage of like, you know, why, why are we doing this? There's a, there are a lot of clouds. They have their own databases. Why are we doing this? We have some unique properties, which is kind of cool. And we have a data, we have a file system, which is kind of different from everything else out there. So combining them provides that something interesting. But more than that, there are two things which we care about. One is that data management. How do we help customers manage data? I'll give you one example of that soon. But next, the other thing which I think is important for customers is that all of them want to be multi-cloud. They don't want to be cannot be stuck in one place. And once they're stuck there, they cannot move anywhere else. Data has gravity, as you know. Oh yeah. Once you have data somewhere, it is not going to move out that easily. So they want something, a platform where they can move around if they wanted to, or they can at least standardize on some platform so that their engineers can write once and run everywhere. That kind of Java experience, right? That's what they want, really. And Postgres helps, but also it helps that uh, VMware is a multi-cloud company. If you write once, you can run anywhere. That's the promise we have. That's kind of where we're working towards. So going back to the previous point I mentioned about the data management aspects of it. If you look at what people do in a daily life, okay, they, they do store data, of course, database, all that stuff. But if you look at the day two, day three, operationally, what they have to do is that sometimes they have, to up, they have to update their software. And to update a software, you need a staging or some pre-production to kind of see if it works, apply the patch and see if oh, it works. Yeah. What if you could just clone your entire production database instantaneously, apply the patch, see if it works. Okay, sounds great. Doesn't work, fix it. Until you get it right, then you apply the patch to your main, uh, to your main production. That you cannot do today that easily because firstly, you have to take backups of this data. will take half a day to push it some to, to some S3 bucket. Right. And then from there, cloning means rehydrating all this data. It'll take another a day. So that's like, doesn't really, it's not very conducive. People will try it once and they get bored and they move on. But well, the, in the drift even, that, like by the time you finish all that, it's not even, you know, yeah, there's changes changed. potentially that have been synced. So you're yeah. not even, yeah. So where we're going is this, that we want to help customers with that kind of workflows. How do you do staging? In a, with a click, we'll completely clone your databases or in your entire environment, not just databases, but the entire cluster, like thousands of containers or thousands of databases. We can clone instantaneously and launch another another uh, uh, setup so we can go testing. That's just one aspect of it. The other aspects like, you know, test and dev, you want to just clone things rapidly and kind of fire up and, and fire them down. And also like, you know, these days there is more and more concern about like, you know, if I, you know, if I have AZ failure, I would bring up all this stuff. So there's some, there's some data management there. And there's ransomware problems everybody has. 
and how do we recover, help recover that. So all of these things are kind of tied together in this, uh, how do we help developers day one, day two, day three? So those are the kind of things we care about also. So I think we can do a pretty interesting job with that. What's fascinating to me is some of the workflows that you described for this, this copy data management, these day two operations, um, they don't, for someone who's done, you know, DR for a long time, they don't sound that similar. I need a isolated environment, a full clone of my environment. I need to be able to bring up not just, you know, the one database, but all the apps and the supporting services around it. Um, I mean, you're basically describing a DR test in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. But even DR test to do it well, you need this ability to be able to clone from your old data and rapidly bring it up like instantaneously. If it takes too long in today's economy, that's not how it works. We, we will need instantaneous, uh, you know, access to the data, instantaneous operations. Look, I click on a button and I get an Uber. I click on a button, I can search. I click on a button, I can get, uh, I can watch a movie. So time has come for us to click a button. So that ten minutes to Uber, that's we we gotta we gotta beat that on database copy. So or otherwise yeah, people, yeah, exactly. The expectations aren't there. I, I like that as our metric to work backwards from there as our north star. Yeah. So I think, but to do this well, you need database technology which actually scales well, all that stuff. But also you need a storage technology in the bottom of it, below it which can allow these kind of primitives because instant snapshots, instant cloning is a fundamental of storage of property. Oh, yeah. And if you don't have it, it's hard to kind of invent it later on. As you know, in the storage industry, you cannot change a storage architecture that easily. It takes a while to kind of add new features. Uh, if you remember, a data domain invented dedupe. It took 10 years before somebody else did it because it's hard to inject new things into your storage architecture. So similarly here, we have done a fundamentally, uh, you know, a lot of investments in data management as our key value proposition. And that's why we're able to do this instant snapshots, instant cloning at scale, large scale, thousands of VM, thousands of like, you know, containers. Yeah. And earlier you mentioned scaling, uh, you know, compute uh, separate from storage or scaling storage separate from compute. Uh, now, that's not something that was traditionally available prior. And, and, we're, and when we say this, we're talking about VMware Cloud on AWS, correct? Because yeah. I know I know there's been some some announcements at VMware. One of them was uh, VMware Cloud Flex Storage. So can you tell us a little bit about the Cloud Flex Storage and, and the value proposition that that brings? Yeah. So it came, the technology has come from Datrim acquisition. And so it's a file system built for the cloud. It has a two-tier architecture. One is that at the foundation, it uses S3 as its foundation. We do dedupe and compression. We store all the data in S3. It's super low cost and steady state. So um, S3 is kind of low cost. And then on top of that, we do dedupe and compression. It becomes even lower cost. So in steady state, that's where all the data is. And also S3 replicates the data across three, three zones across the, across the region. So it's all very, very, very durable data. On top of that, our file system has this caching technology. You can scale your caches like horizontally by adding more and more EC2 nodes and some caching uh, NVMe drives to it. So you get performance from that. If you want less performance, you get, get you can use less cache, lower, lower cost. If you want more performance, you can use a lot more cache and you can get higher performance. So it gives customers that flexibility depending on the working sets and depending on what the data they have. As you know, for example, in file services, like if you have a lot of files, a billion files, 90% of data is just cold, doesn't need to be in the cache. You can save a lot of money by doing this, kind of playing this uh, caching game. So that's kind of what we invented fund foundationally. And a lot of customers in, you know, in our VMC, VMware Cloud is, is growing fast. Um, there is vSAN there, which is great. A lot of people love it. It's high performance. But sometimes people also just want an additional just storage. Just want to just store some extra storage. Not, sort of not high performance, but just want to store extra storage. And then that, that's why we have kind of uh, offering now VMC flex storage as a supplemental storage to vSAN for the additional data kind of storage use cases. 
the the interest has been strong. It's been it's been very interesting seeing you know all the different use cases and applications. Um, and anytime you have a new storage offering, you know you you're always tempted to try to you know balance promising all things you know everyone. But it is th- this architecture of being able to scale cash, be able to scale performance, scale capacity uh, distinctly. It looks like it's solving a lot of real problems. Yeah, but for 1.0, just to be, just to be clear, we're not uh, exposing all of these features. We're doing something simple because you got to sometimes ship the MVP and then kind of go iterate on it. Uh, Otherwise, it'll take three years before you do it. <laughs> so it's a MVP. I mean, it's a very high quality, of course. We're not compromising quality, but we decided to reduce the features. We're not exposing any of our cool data management features, but over time, uh, over releases, we will announce more and more, more of these uh, cool features uh, which will come out uh, in the subsequent releases. I wanted to ask you a bit about that development process because historically you know you've worked with you've worked with software you know that was shipped you've also worked with um, appliances um, or you know kind of combinations of the two how is shipping software as a you know as a SaaS service how is that different than you know shipping appliances or previous ways you've you've worked to be honest it's much more delightful to ship a SaaS software because I'll tell you why we have a fleet manager. There are a lot, we have a lot of customers that deployed our software. I mean, it's all deployed as SaaS service. It's, it's, we manage it. We, we control it. Customers get to use it. If we have a new feature, which is which is what developers are excited about. There are a new feature, some cool feature, and something you're excited about. In, in traditionally storage companies, you ship once a year. And by the time you ship, by the time you write your code, by the time you test it, by the time you ship it, it's like a 16, 16 months or like 18 months. The, the developer has forgotten oh, yeah. about that code and not excited anymore about this stuff. Yeah, by the time we, we have customer references and people are on stage talking about how excited they are at VMware, it's been like 18 months since it shipped. Yeah. It's it's a much longer cycle. So Yeah. And so basically it makes developers not feel like, you know, do I own this? Is it my baby? Like they're, I mean, you want to make them feel that way. So, but here, the SaaS, what you do is that you make your break down your features into smaller, smaller pieces and you ship continuously every six weeks. What we decided to ship every six weeks. Uh, enterprise quality, we got to do some testing on it. So we decided to ship every six weeks. So if you miss this boat, don't have to worry about it. It's not like another 18 months. You can do the next six, six weeks. So there is that thing like, okay, you don't have to like hurry up and kind of get it done to get into this release. No, if you miss yeah. it, do a good job, come to the next one. That's one. And secondly, if there's a bug or something we discover or we proactively discover, we can upgrade our fleet altogether at one shot because that bug is going to be there. This is not how... You previously did on-prem, but there would be customers who are on 5.0, 6.0, right. 7.0, and then you got to think about all these different bug use cases. I've got to patch three different major trains and two sub-trains, and someone wants to backport it. You then know, I have to worry if support yeah. agreement. Yeah, and then I have it's to worry really, if there if some of the servers I have are patched and others are not, and so there's inconsistencies. <laughs> it's not only like uh, boring for the customers to think of all this stuff. It's also like not, not very good for engineers to think of all this stuff. There's like a not. It's just basically made, making them do. Like it's kind of a it's boring tasks to do. Like so, SaaS is much more smoother that way. You can ship sooner, and you can get customer feedback sooner, and you can delight customers. So I think everybody generally, the whole everybody in the cycle is excited. The ecosystem, like the customers and the developers. Yeah, that makes sense for sure. So I've heard you talk a lot at VMware about multi-cloud. We all know multi-cloud is here to stay. Uh, you know, it's certainly a, a big push for VMware. Uh, but I've recently heard you talk about something that I hadn't heard before, which is super cloud. So tell me a little bit about super cloud. <laughs> and I know it's yeah. not an official thing, but I have heard you mention it's not an official a- thing. But maybe you can just talk about it as a okay. Just just be just disclaimer. It's not a VMware official term, but I <laughs> I've, I've used that word before. So the way I think about it is the following: just like. Uh, thinking openly about it. You don't call iPhone a multi-device phone, do you? You don't call it that. No. You call it a smartphone. 
So I think multi-cloud to me, it sounds like it's more work. Like it's just more work. Like you have to kind of do this, do this, do this. I've got to learn all the clouds. I've got to, I've got to yeah, operationalize all, this, all the clouds. I have to remember my login to all the clouds. Yeah, there is that. And there's some, there's nuances across all these clouds. So what people, developers are really looking for, if you go to KubeCon, they don't talk about multi-cloud that much because they think Kubernetes is one way of kind of just writing generic code, but there's more to it. There's, there's storage, it's different from everybody else. So there's also all these different tools you use. So what people are really looking for is a super cloud. My belief is that like something which is universal, they can write to it and they'll run anywhere, right? The promise of Java kind of thing. So that's, then if you have to name this, it's not really multi-cloud, it's so much as a super cloud. Then everybody fits in under the umbrella, like, you know, of adding value together uh, as an ecosystem. That's how I think about it. It's mostly like, you know, how you talk about the super cloud versus multi-cloud, maybe they're the same thing, but multi-cloud sounds like a lot of work. Super cloud sounds like I would be interested in like writing some code for it. Wow. So I think you have a future in branding. This is good. I mean, I, I already <laughs> see the logo. I mean, this could actually be pretty good. It's important to name things which are uh, other people can understand easily. Otherwise, you know, people don't buy things they don't understand. Simple as that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Multi-cloud is uh, multi-cloud. Certainly, uh, I see the concept. I understand the value. But yeah, super cloud seems like uh, something I want to get my hands on. <laughs> yeah. I think both of them have multi-cloud makes, you know, easy words also like, you know, so uh, it's kind of represents what it's trying to do. Like, you know, hey, we're everywhere. There's a, there's a lot of clouds and we can make it kind of seamlessly go across clouds, which is the right good story. But I'm thinking, this is my thoughts again, <laughs> disclaimer, my words. I think super cloud kind of makes it kind of easy to conceptualize it. I'm yeah. now looking out my window for a super cloud. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you must come to California. There's a super cloud here. <laughs> ah, ah, that is how the weather feels there. Very nice. Well, yeah, I don't want to take too much of your time, but uh, I did definitely want to uh, pick your brain a little bit. I know you've been in storage for a long time. Uh, storage has evolved. I know you've been heavily involved with uh, database architecture. Uh, you know, we've gone from only on-premises, we've gone to cloud storage with, you know, data services and being enhanced over the years. What do you see? Uh, and certainly what are you, what is your vision for, uh, for cloud storage uh, as it pertains to VMware? Certainly not uh, any, any secrets, but what are you looking at? As, as the next big thing? The one thing which is still kind of unsolved problem in the industry is hybrid cloud, right? Hybrid cloud is not still fundamentally there by, by a lot of you know, vendors out there. They're still either in the cloud, cloud vendors only cloud. So a lot of people are still not completely in the cloud. They have two legs. They have like one leg in the on-prem stuff and they have like for various reasons, for cost reasons, for, for governance reasons, whatever it is. So VMware is a unique place to offer this, this hybrid cloud offering. And for that, your storage must work in a hybrid cloud environment. You cannot design something which is only built for one, 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 one cloud or the on-prem system. So you need the flexibility. This is what I'm thinking is that as a, as a VMware culture, as who we are, is that we have to make our data strategy so that it's ubiquitous. We provide very interesting data management features for customers, delight them with the things they wanna do in their daily life and uh, not make it too hard. Like all the things they do in the daily, day one, day two, day three, like what do they do and how can we simplify their, their, their life in that experience? And also how can we make people not worry about multi-cloud and then just the right ones and it can work anywhere. That would be the kind of the, 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 where the direction is. I like it. You know, in addition, what's interesting is that is the edge market. If you look at Raghu, our CEO, talk about it, is that it's bigger than anything else out there. It's not something people understand that easily. I spent some time looking at it. Actually, it's quite interesting. The edge is growing in a, in a much more interesting ways than oh, yeah. the public cloud is. And there's a lot of data at the edge. And the opportunity for VMware is that actually we can really do a good job of providing these data services at the edge for these new edge use cases. It's kind of exciting for us. 
I'm very looking forward to actually kind of uh, going deeper into that. I guess the the one question in people's minds has been is you know has been trying to clarify what is the edge. You know, is it IoT? Is it these overly small devices? Is it edge analytics? And it's it's been interesting seeing you know some clarity of our opinion of you know where we're seeing that going and what is the I guess the smallest unit of compute. You know, I know some people have looked at edge previously as oh it's just robo, it's remote office branch office, it's a printer, it's a domain controller, some files, something boring. But this this view of the edge is an area for um, you know, much larger scale than the existing remote compute is today, but also finding ways to to do you know much more interesting and advanced things um, than just some local survivability. Yeah. So there are three different buckets in edge. I would put it that way: there's retail, there's manufacturing, and uh, you know there are some of these things like that. There's also the phone companies like the the the, the telecom telco stuff. edge. Yeah. Telco edge. Yeah. There are a bunch of things like this, and uh, the thing is not so much innovation in hardware. Because they're also tired of buying these uh, black boxes and putting somewhere and then making that thing stick for like like for five years. That's not how the world is working anymore. You need software to be updated pretty frequently, and you need like new AI discovery of your data. In manufacturing, for example, you want you have the robotic arm. You want to control that. Do you have software which like is being written ten years ago? No, the robotic arm is good. What you want is software to be upgraded much more frequently. Yeah, and you need this mechanism to do this, and you know VMware is a good platform for this stuff. You got to run your software, you got to manage all this stuff. It's a it's a simple, not a black box, it's a white box in some sense, but it can be made into a simple black box where it can be easily serviced, and it can be just just have your software running there. For example, if you go to a, a retail store like Kroger or one of those things, when you walk in, they know who you are, and how do they know all the stuff? Because they have an edge system right there, which is trying to figure out like who you are, how to give you discounts, and kind of like you know what to do, like how to charge you separate different differently and give you some bonus points. So that's how the edge works. And it has to work despite having no connectivity to the main cloud. So there's a lot of processing going on. We just, we just don't see it. There's a lot of innovation in that space. We don't see it because we work in the data center uh, kind of um, workplace generally. And we're not noticing this edge is growing in a in a much more interesting ways. No, it's it's fun, and it's I like you know the thought that it's very vertical specific. It's very application specific. When you get into manufacturing, you get into the weeds, and you see people that they're making subtle tweaks to the PLC to improve product quality or drive other outcomes. Or like you say, retail, their highly personalized experiences are are available. This is something that I, I like the thought that, like you said, it's not about the hardware. It's not, you know, I ship a little Raspberry Pi or something and it's going to do one thing. It's a it's a dynamic experience. Very nice. Well, Sazala, I don't want to take too much of your time, but I really do appreciate you coming on and sharing your opinions on uh, cloud, on, on storage and on databases. And uh, yeah, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, one last question for you. Will you be attending VMware Explore this year? Uh, yes, I'll be there. I'm definitely going to be there. Excellent. Hopefully to see you there. Uh, the Virtually Speaking podcast will be there. Uh, John and I will have a podcast area in the booth. Uh, so we encourage you to come by and say hi to us there. Uh, we're also going to be doing a session. Uh, it hasn't been listed yet. Uh, but yeah, we, we actually are going to be doing another panel session at VMware Explorer this year where we're going to be discussing a topic to be determined. But it's going to be a, a panel session with some of the uh, industry uh, influencers out there. So uh, we invite you guys all to take a look at that. But that music tells me it's time to go. And so if you want to get in touch with us, send us an email at podcast at vmware.com. You can subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice by searching Virtually Speaking Podcast. You can catch this in all episodes at vspeakingpodcast.com. A big thanks to Sazala for talking all about VMware Data Cloud. We're back next time, but until then, bye for now. <laughs>